0: Thanks, baby. Good morning. Let's get in the Word. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Quick review from, uh, from last week there. Solomon's admonition to us, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, says, Above all else. How many of you guys know that Solomon's trying to get our attention here? This isn't something that's like, hey, hey and one more thing. This is not um, housekeeping This is like priority time. Above all else, whatever you do, before everything else, this has value, this has priority, this has power. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Um, We got into that word last week, the word heart, the Hebrew word lave. And it means not just like your your cardia, not just like this blood-pumping organ thing, but the center of your being. It means, above all else, make sure that your inner man, your mind... The stuff you know, the stuff you think about, the stuff you reflect on, the, the memories and how you process them, the inclination that comes out of those memories, the resolutions you make, the determination of your will. Above all else, guard these things because from these things come the wellspring of life. Like your life will progress. It will proceed from this default setting. And what Solomon is trying to say is this, and there's probably a better way to say this, is there's a narrative in your heart, in your mind, there's a narrative. You, you see the world a certain way because of various inclinations, various memories, various resolutions, reflections. And so he's saying, above all else, make sure that the way you digest reality is real. Now, I don't have a percentage with my mind. I don't know how much denial I live in and how much lie I believe is truth. And how, I mean, how would you know unless you had something greater than yourself to tell you what you were believing wasn't true? Um, but, but in this way, I, I, I look at Scripture and I look at my life, and I'll be honest with you, I find some difference between the two. How about you? If not, you just lied in church. There's a difference, right? So we're, we're growing into this, but, but he's saying this above all else so that you know what's real, make sure what you process reality with is real. Guard this heart. If you don't guard the heart, then what happens is uh, you can find hurt everywhere if you're a hurt person. Anybody got one of those in your family? Is he sitting next to you right now and you don't want to amen? I get it, right? They, they're the optimist. Oh, this is so great. It's going to be wonderful. It's like you got one of those in your family. Why is that? Well, because one person looks at the whole world as a big adventure and a great opportunity. And one person got bit by a dog when they're four and they've never recovered from it. Because the reality is not really reality. The rea- he's so optimistic, he's an idiot. And she's so pessimistic. Let's go other way. She's so optimistic, she's an idiot. Now you can't call one an idiot. She's just really cool. And he's an idiot. There, everybody can say amen to that now, right? So Solomon is saying there's a narrative. You got to think about this. And I, and I want you to remember this from last week, guys. You're never going to rise above the narrative that plays in your heart. You just, you just can't. Even when you win, you'll believe something bad's about to happen, Even when you lose because you did something completely wrong, you'll continue to do it again and again and again, not realizing because there's a narrative that plays in your heart. Last week, we said this. I want to come back to it because I think it's an important statement, kind of a power statement. The enemy never works in your life. He never operates in your life without invitation and permission. The devil lies, defeat, whatever that is, it has to be invited it has to be welcomed and it has to be given permission to function in your life. So what you believe, the narrative, the lave, the heart, right, it creates an atmosphere and that atmosphere does attract certain things and it also repels certain things. We talked about the door being open to my home in the middle of winter. I don't have to worry about waking up the next morning. My door's been open all night long and finding a family room full of fish, it's the wrong environment. Fish cannot function in, in without water and in the oxygen and all that kind of stuff. But I might find a gopher in there in the morning. I might find a raccoon there in the morning, right? Any shelter from, from the, the elements recently? I, honestly, if I was walking and I was cold and your door was open, you'd find me on your couch, you know? Eating your Cheerios, watching your ESPN. Because we're friends, right? So I want to continue to build on these thoughts today. Um, and I want to do it uh, this way. As it pertains... To the correct reality, the atmosphere, the heart. We're going to do a quick, this is between you and I and you and you, but I I just think of it this way, right? Whose opinion of you matters more? There's a new game show show called Whose Opinion of You Matters More? Let's start with an easy one. By the way, none of these questions are trick questions. Like, I'm not going to answer that because he might be like, I'm not. I'm making this, this is checkers. This is not three-dimensional Star Trek chess. Okay, so don't worry about looking stupid. Would you rather believe does a person's opinion matter more if they hate you or if they love you? The obvious answer is if they they love you. Why? Well, because they're not gonna be looking for faults, they're gonna be looking for strengths. They're gonna be looking for the person you can be. They're gonna be complimenting the person you are, they're gonna be you know, trying to help you become something they see you as. But if somebody hates you, they're not looking for the good, they're looking for the evil. They want to steal, they wanna kill. They want to destroy. They want to mangle. They want to dismember, right? So one opinion, though they're both opinions, and both have a basis as such, one actually matters more than the other. Do you agree with that? Second question, whose opinion matters more? Someone who looks to accuse and condemn you or someone who looks to forgive and restore you. Let's, let's say you, you stumbled. You messed up. You lost your temper. You kicked the dog. You shot the cat. That's not bad, but kicking the dog is bad. You cheer for the wrong football team. I miss Dan, you know? Um, uh, But, you know, whatever you did wrong, the person's like, well, I have an opinion about you and your failures. Would you rather listen to the opinion of someone who believes in you and wants to restore you and forgives you because of love, or would you rather believe the opinion of someone who hates you and wants this to be your death knell? Which one? Come on. The one that, right? Okay, third question. Whose opinion matters more? Those most familiar with you, so you know, the more intimate, or you, Interesting, isn't it? Like, like what my wife thinks of me means a lot to me. I am the head of my household and my wife is the neck and she can turn the head in any direction she wants. What she thinks of me matters. But should her opinion of me matter more than my opinion of me? I don't think so. You're, let's say this. We all come from different family backgrounds. My mother is one of my great cheerleaders, always has been. She just had her 87th birthday in December, and happy birthday, Mom, from the Freedom Center. Can we all say happy birthday? Happy birthday, Mom. And she is a hero. Now, she may be mad at me because I just outed her as an 87-year-old woman, but I don't have to run far or fast to get away from her anymore like I once did, right? But she's always said, you know, I've been bringing home Ds and Es, and if there were Fs, I'd have gotten those. I was, I was eligible for Gs and Hs and I's. But it wasn't because I wasn't intelligent and she knew that. It's because I was lazy. She also knew that. And so she'd say to me, Jimmy, you can be anything you want to be. As soon as you put your mind to something, as soon as you find something you're passionate about, as soon as you find you, you're just going to run with it and change the world. Well, that was a narrative that played in my heart. The teacher said you're a failure. I'm like, not according to my mom. (laughs) But let's say you didn't get that. Maybe your mom didn't love you. Maybe your dad didn't give you a blessing. Please hear me. Even though your mother didn't love you, and your father didn't bless you, it doesn't relieve you of the responsibility of becoming you. You're still responsible to be what God created you to be. So back to that question, whose opinion matters more? Is it the people most familiar with me, or is it me? I think the clear answer is it's, it's me, right? One, one level deeper, and this word does change a little bit. Whose opinion matters more, your opinion of yourself or God? This is where it changes, because so far it's been like my opinion of me matters more than anybody else's. But now it's like, now we're at a contest. Who who really has the right to decide whether or not I have value? Is it me? Not ultimately, no. Is it important? Yes. But is it the only opinion that matters? Absolutely not, right? And this is because he does love us. He doesn't hate us. Because he does forgive and wants to redeem us, not condemn us and accuse us. Because he is very familiar with us. And has chosen to sacrifice the life of his son for the life of the world. His opinion matters more than my own. Do you agree? All right. So God has the ultimate say when it comes to our identity. But, everybody say but, just because it's fun to scream but in church. Think Ohio State. Come on, say it. But. I'm sorry, but. But, not but. But his voice is not the only voice that we can hear. A lot of opinions. Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, there's this character named Saul of Tarsus. And it's really one of the most beautiful stories, although it has lots of tragedy in it. Saul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. The, Pharisees, the word Pharisee means separated ones. Everybody else is filthy and we are the ones that are holy under the Lord. They believe that because hundreds of years prior to that, there was something called the Maccabean Revolt where they stood up against the, the Greek powers and uh, pig sacrifice on altars. And it was, it was, a, it was a real, like, we're just taking over and there's nothing you can do about it. And the Maccabees ruled out, uh, uh, they they killed people and started a... Anyway, ended up in Masada. I mean, about Masada and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a, it's a great patriotic story. We get Hanukkah from things like that. Um, but but in the end, it, by the time it gets to Saul of Tarsus, it's now just a religious angry movement. They're the ones, like, like Mike and I share this, Mike Miller and I, we have this joke where you see like a really religiously inclined person just getting mad at somebody over the silliest thing and they're just all upset. And they get other people really upset and they all gang up on one person. That would be an example of Phariseeism. Like nothing excites a Pharisee like a good stoning. Oh, we found faults. Ah, like what about your own faults? I have none. I am the exemplary like you're a hypocrite. How many guys know we're all growing into the image of Christ? But ain't none of us there yet. I mean, he sees us as a completed work, but we look in the mirror and see something else. Have you ever been so self-delusional that when you got on the scale and it started to spin, you sucked in your stomach? <laughs> Thinking that somehow that would change reality? I said that one time and somebody said, No, I suck at my stomach because I can't see the numbers. (laughs) Right? So, Saul of Tarsus being this zealous, ambitious, young, any chance. Well, all of a sudden, the sect of Judaism called Christianity that follows this Messiah that he believes to be false comes on the scene. There's miracles, signs, and wonders. But here's the problem people are stopping wanting to be Pharisees when they grow up and they're wanting to be like Jesus. And let me tell you something, guys. God's people, although they're called to kindness and love, when, when they misunderstand things, can be some of the most vicious people in the world. Like, like I, Nothing is more persecuted in what God's doing today than like the last thing that God did so the Pharisees were something God did, but it become something very different than God intended. And now they're gonna persecute what God is doing. And it, it kind of goes along that way throughout church history and just the history of God's story. Every time God changes something, whatever God's doing new in people's lives, there's people that don't like it. And who doesn't like it most? It's the last thing that God did hates the thing that God's doing in people today. I, so be, be aware, of, aware of that. So Saul of Tarsus to get everybody's favor and he's, he's made it to Harvard and Yale and he's got his doctorate, if you will, and he sits under the feet of a, a, a rabbi named Gamaliel who still, his commentaries are famous today. And he is like the guy, right? He's the Albert Einstein of physics, only it's theology. And so he, he's gonna promote his career. And this is what he does. He decides to go after every Christian he can find. He presides over the execution, the stoning, of a man named Stephen, one of the early deacons and wonderful man of God. He's forgiving them as they're chucking rocks at his head and finally the last one hits him in the head and he's out and they leave and they kill him. And he presides over it. He, he watches the coats is the way the Bible says that. He's the one who pres- leaves your coats here. I'll be in charge. He's not, he's not a coat boy. He's the judge and executioner. He orders the execution. He goes on to begin to uh, arrest people, go from house to house and find people. And there's, there's an informative thing. Think, think um, Nazi Germany 1939, right? They're, they're starting to tell on their neighbors. They're starting, And he too is a Christian. And they go in there and they, and they grab somebody's daughter out of the bed in the middle of the night. They grab somebody's husband, somebody's father, somebody's brother, somebody's son, and they arrest them. Men and women, he puts them in prison for their faith in Jesus. And then one day, as the story goes, he's on his way to persecute more people, when all of a sudden, there's a bright light. He gets knocked on his can, and he hears a voice through this bright light say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he goes, who's who's calling, please? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, I've had OCRUD moments in my life, have you? This is the OCRUD moment of humanity, Oh crud. And instead of instead of getting even with him, the mercy of God is on full display and Saul of Tarsus becomes the apostle Paul. But here's the problem. He's executed the, there's a small group of believers in Jerusalem. He's arrested a lot of them. He's not trusted by anybody. He's executed some of them. And now he realizes what he's done. He thought he was Moses in the story. He's not Moses, he's Judas. And how do you deal with that, right? So how does he face these opinions? Um, the Pharisees called him a heretic because he changed doctrine. He's a traitor. He was one of us, but he's been seduced by the demons over there, right? The Gentiles called him a troublemaker and a criminal. Believers called him a persecutor and a murderer. So how does he navigate back to the opinions of others? How does he navigate those things? How does he, how does he see what he's done in any other way besides what he's done? Now, if those who call him these things, are they, are they lying about him or are they telling the truth? He's a persecutor. He's a murderer. He's a heretic to them. He's a traitor to them, right? He's all these things. And this is how he did it. Please hear me. This is the only way to do it. He found his identity in the opinion of only one. He allowed the one voice whose opinion was greater than everybody else's opinion to form his identity. He, He said things like this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I don't have a time machine. I'm, I'm not magic. I have no genie in a bottle. This one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I strain towards what's ahead. Let me, let me drop a truth bomb on you. And, and here it comes. It's falling. It's falling. It's 2,000 pounds. Lands in the middle of the room. Here it is. Ready? God is love. First John 4. 8, I'm quoting scripture. You say, well, that's out of context. No. In verse 7. Beloved, uh, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who doesn't love doesn't know God. Because God is love. It's not out of context. God is love. Isn't that a wonderful moment in human history? God is uh, really big. No, not enough. Uh, super smart. No, no. He's everywhere. No. What, and, and I love that John finds this one word that's carefully defined by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. God is love. Now, understand this. When he says God is love, it's, it's the essence of who he is. It's the law by which he rules. It's the motivation for all that he does. It's the atmosphere. It's the narrative. It's the heart of his kingdom. It's love. Now, and I, I mean, you need to hear this love is not a feeling God gets as he thinks about you, love is a decision he's made about you before you were ever you. A decision. I've been married for 35 years and one week. Love, many times, to sustain that marriage, has had to be a decision, not a feeling. I've been a father now for 33 years. Love, many times, has been a decision and not a feeling. I've been a grandfather now for six years. It's all feelings. It's wonderful. (laughs) I've been a pastor. I've been a friend most of my life. Love, many times, has been better defined as a decision I've made about others than a feeling I have about others. When I forgive people, it's not because of feelings. It's in spite of them. When I'm patient with people... When I'm patient with people. <laughs> it's not because of feeling I'm having. It's because of decision I've made. And I'm kind to people. Sometimes people are not so kind. I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but social media has not helped the kindness factor of humanity. I think if social media came with something where if somebody says something mean, you could spray a skunk smell on them, we'd be a lot nicer to each other. But unfortunately, the smell is something that we, we catch in our souls, right? So God is love, and that, that love is a decision that he's made about you. You are regardless of your behavior, loved by God. That's who he is, right? So we got to understand this. So how do we know about love? Well, we are loved into love by being loved. Is that confusing or no? How how do we get loved? Well, we're loved into love by being loved. We love because he first loved us. I I love being around... um, children who are well loved by their family. They're just different. Do you know what I'm talking about? I love being around puppies that are well loved by their family and dogs. I love being around horses that are well loved by, by their... I love, I love being around cats that act like dogs <laughs> because they've been well loved. I can tell of a child, and I know they're shy. I don't mean saying your kid is shy. He's not well loved. I'm not saying that. But I, just the other day, I was standing up here going to my notes. And I'm kind of running a little bit behind, and I'm, I'm, I'm focusing right here, and I've lost some peripheral vision. All of a sudden, there's something on my leg. I look down, and it's little Ellie. And she's got curly hair and blue eyes. She looks up, morning, pato. Right? I just go, that could be the best thing that's going to happen to me all day. Why she run up on the stage? She's not allowed up here. And hug my leg because I'm her friend because I'm not a scary person. I, I, I'm, I'm a friend. Like, how many you guys know we're loved into love by being loved? That's, that's how we learn this, right? But if we're ignorant of God's love and we allow and create the wrong atmosphere, then, then we're extending again that invitation and that permission to the enemy. Are you getting this or no? So hear me. You are loved, not because of your behavior. While we were yet sinners, come on, Christ did what? He died for us. So your, your increase or decrease of behavior will never change the decision he's made about you. I'm not saying you're saved because you're loved. There's something else that happens where you trust who he is to be greater than who you are and you quit trusting in your own righteousness and the laws of Moses and all these other things we could trust in and we just trust him. But how hard is it to trust somebody you don't believe that loves you? And how easy it is to trust someone that you know does regardless, right? So let's just, let's just get even more basic. Are you guys doing Okay. Build on this a little bit. So, so why did God create you? Anybody know? Answer's on the board, Chase. It's to love you. Like, God literally, like, oh, gee, I need someone to mow the grass in the garden. Uh, Bada bing. Adam? I mean, if he needed the grass mowed, he'd have created a goat. He created a son. Why? It's not because God was incomplete, but because he was so complete that the need to share it with somebody was just obvious, Right? So he creates somebody in his image. He goes, you know what? You got me and I got you, but I know what I'm missing without you. And I, I'm going to give you somebody that you are like to me. So he, he creates Eve, right? There's just this beautiful ongoing. He created us to love us. Now understand this, as it pertains to your life, what God can do in and through your life is most affected by your ability to allow God to love you. And there's reasons why we don't. I know what I did. I know his commands are. I know what I didn't do, and I know what his expectations are. I know what I think. I know what I feel. I know what others, when I thought and felt that in front of them, what they thought of me. My mom didn't love me. My dad didn't bless me. My, my siblings made fun of me. I had a girl break up with me in third grade. I got bit by a chihuahua when I was seven. I, I get it. All these things that create this atmosphere and this narrative. But I'm trying to get you to see today is all those things, though they're not, they're not untrue, there's something more true. And that is the love of God. Without the love of God, the best we can hope for is a religious morality, even from Scripture. With the love of God, the light comes on, because now I'm a loved son. I'm a loved child. I'm not. I'm not earning anything. I'm not trying to become something. I already am something because of the love of God. So, John he describes himself in his Gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now you say well, that's kind of arrogant. That's like Moses calling himself the most humble man in the world. Like, you know, but does does Jesus love John more than the other disciples? Does Jesus play favorites? So why is John the disciple whom Jesus loves? My thought is because John is the disciple that led him. Peter had pride. Judas had lies and sin. Matthew had math. But for some reason, John just said, you love me? Awesome. And Pete's like, yeah, I love you too, man. i die for you. Oh, didn't die for him. I guess he's mad at me. Judas is like, I love you. I love you. I love you, man. Jingle, 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 jingle with everybody else's money in his pocket. He's a thief, right? When Jesus said to John, John, I love you, John said, I love you too. There was nothing stopping John from allowing God to love him through Jesus Christ. What is stopping God's love in your life? What is it that interrupts your ability to allow God to love you? You gotta hear me, guys. Why would we ever sought the love of God? This is why, right here. Boom, truth bomb number two. We only receive the love we think we deserve. So when I acted good yesterday and had a good day and read my Bible and did a Bible app thing and prayed and went to church and didn't cuss when the lions fumbled the ball. And, you know, I just like, man, I'm I'm real. But the next day I woke up just with Satan in my mouth and, you know, the devil in my hands. I I drove down 23 and I cursed about 18 people. and Which is good because I cursed 22 yesterday. So I'm getting better. I see the difference. But we do the math in our head that somehow somehow we believe that our behavior deducts from the love of God, but your behavior has nothing to do with the love of God. It's a decision he made, not a feeling he has. It's decided, right? So sin, guilt, shame, blame, they, they all have this effect of creating distance in any relationship that we have on earth, therefore we believe if we sin here, you know, if we lie here, if we cheat here, if we steal here, if we lust here, then it must change him because everybody else has changed when I behave this way. That's why I hide my behaviors from everybody. But we can't hide from God and we know it. So we say my behavior must in some way affect his relationship with me. Understand this, guys. Our confidence in the narrative of God's love must be louder than the narrative of our sin or we will miss the life of love for which we were created. So true or false? Paul's a murderer. True or false? True True or false? I've sinned. Don't judge. (laughs) True or false? You've sinned. True. There, how's it feel? (laughs) So the voices that condemn us aren't lying. There's truth to it. That's, That's why it's sticky, right? But the voices that are talking to me are not necessarily the only voices. Just get this, really. Forgiveness and love don't primarily ask what's true. Did you know that? Forgiveness and love don't necessarily ask what's true. They ask what's more true. Is it true that Paul's a murderer? Is there a truth greater than that truth in the eyes of God? Does God's opinion matter more than Paul's opinion? Does it matter more than his victim's opinions? Does it matter more than his mama's opinion? Yeah. And that's how Paul went from Saul of Tarsus, the murderer, who should have just slunk off into the desert and repented for the rest of his life, apologizing to all humanity for who he was, thereby missing his destiny because he lived as if he were the worst thing he'd ever done, not the best thing God ever did for him. Or he can forget what's behind and press on towards what's ahead because there's one opinion in his life that matters more than all the other opinions combined. I've learned that we struggle less with God forgiving us than forgiving ourselves. That's where we're kind of ending the series. I belong to Jesus with this statement this morning or this, this message this morning. God forgiving me because it's happened so many times. It's, I, it's a fairly simple thing. Anybody struggle with God's forgiveness? No, don't raise your hand. I, I have at times have struggled with my, my thoughts. It's God forgiving me, not forgiving me? But, you know, after sinning a million times, I'm pretty good at asking for forgiveness. And that was last week. That wasn't my entire life. That was the million times, right? I need a blanket of mercy laid over the sins of my life but he's just forgiven me so many times. It's hard not to believe in that blanket now. The thing I'm having a hard time believing in sometimes is not the mercy of God, but forgiving myself for the things I continue to do. Things I continue to struggle with, things I wish I didn't. I I made promises and vows and, you know, commitments and accountabilities. And still, man, Thanksgiving, I get fat. And that may be an analogy for other things, but you know what I mean, right? Let me remind you, um, Whose opinion matters of you more? You or God? God. Why did God create you? To love, to love you. What has God done to remove the sin, the guilt, the shame, the blame, and shift the narrative to love and forgiveness? It's it's crazy what he's done to pay in full for the crazy things we've done, is it not? Somebody should write a song like Amazing Grace. John 3.3, 3, Jesus actually used these words, a man must be born again. He's not painting over rust. He's creating something brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul uses the word new creation through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Psalms 51.10, David purposely uses the word bada, uh, created me a clean heart. The word create is a Hebrew word bada. It's only used a few times. It doesn't mean to take clay and then create a jar out of it or take wood and create a house out of it. It means to take nothing and make it into something it never was. In the beginning, God created, God bada, the heavens and the earth. There was nothing and then there was. Why? Because God bada, he created it. Bada bing, bada boom. Come on, right? That's how I remember that word. God said and bada bing, there it was. Unless you believe in the big bang, then it's bada boom. Guess what I'm saying is this. When he says, I don't want you to paint over the rust. I don't want you to put bondo in the cracks. I don't want you to paint over a second coat. I need something I don't have. I need a heart that never slept with Bathsheba. I need a heart that never murdered her husband, Uriah. I need a heart that's never known sin. I need you to change the narrative from the worst thing I've ever done to the best thing you've ever done for me. In order to walk in the atmosphere of the heart um, of sin and guilt and shame, you have to you have to listen to the devil's accusations about you and say amen to his sermon. In order to rise above those accusations, you have to believe what God has said about you. And let me tell you this, because this is important. We hinge on hypocrisy if we don't understand this. What the devil accuses you of is probably true that inner guilt voice about how bad you are and what you did and you shouldn't have and you always and you never, I I have a hard time disagreeing with it. And that's that's one of my wrestling matches is you're so this and you're not enough that. And I go, yeah, it's true. So how do we overcome the things that we have done poorly or not at all or tragically flawed or failed? It's this. The only narrative, the only voice we can hear is not the voice of condemnation. Can't be. There's a second voice. They made a decision before you were born to love you no matter what and created you knowing what you would do and sent his son to die, knowing exactly what it would take to redeem you from every last fault, sin, and mistake. And so, God the Father, right? It's true what the devil says about me. It just happens to be more true what God says about me. It's true what my enemies say about me. It's just more true what my father says about me. It's true. But if my wife points out faults, absolutely true. My sons, my grandkids, well, they wouldn't. They're perfect. But the, the meanies on Facebook and Yelp, it's true. I, I mean, some of the stuff they say is just bologna sandwich. I, that's a nice way to say BS in church. But it's, it's, it's that, like, no, it's that, that didn't happen. You're making that up and you need to go, you know, talk to somebody about that. But I, it makes it a lot easier to forgive other people, doesn't it? When you know that someone just really loves you no matter what and they point out your faults. Say, so, yeah, that what you're saying is true. I'm not, I'm not denying what you're saying is true. I'm just saying there's something more true about me. There's something more powerful than what I've done. There's something more powerful than what's been done to me. And that is what's been done for me through Jesus Christ. And I hear people say all the time, but you don't know what I've done. You're right, I, I don't. But I'm, I'm intimately familiar with what's been done for you. And that's why it's really hard sometimes for me to sit through counseling sessions where everybody repeats the devil as if I'm supposed to say Amen but I did this and I did that. I, I know. That's, I'm such a loser. Now, I'm going to disagree with you. I, you know, I, I did this and I did that. That's true. But you, you're concluding something based on the evidence of your behaviors and you're excluding one piece of math and that is what God has done for you. So you're not going to get any better. You're not going to grow any farther. The relationships you want healed will never be more healed than you. How do we heal you? It's by you stopping quoting the devil as if it's the only truth and start quoting God because it's a greater truth. And when you do, now we got something to talk about. I was a slave in Egypt, I know. But now you're called to the promised land because that's how good God is. Piano person, join me if you would. Let me just wrap up six weeks of teaching. How many of you think I can do this in a minute and 10 seconds? How many of you think the lions are going to win? How many of you leave when I say I'm landing the plane? I got my eye on you, girl. I know where you're going. Get back here. All right. So we, we have to be forgiven by God, yes? yes? We all agree with that. Scripture's replete with that, right? We have to forgive others when they sin against us as we've been forgiven, yes? yes. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, complimentary 614, Matthew chapter 18, we read that last week. Like, we know these things, right? And the last thing is this, we gotta forgive ourselves as we've been forgiven. We have to switch the narrative from what we've done to what's been done for us. We have to. I, I love Hebrews chapter 11. Um, it's, you know, the Hall of Fame is the best football player, the best baseball player, the best checkers player, whatever. There's a Hall of Fame, this ring of honor or whatever, you know, the tradition is. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews um, says, these are the greatest stories of faith we have. They're amazing Look what he did. He conquered this and he, just, he killed a giant and he raised up a nation and he tore down idols and he died, you know, like in, in faith, even though the promise never came. Like these are believers. Like they just trust God so much. But if, if you ever look closely at the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see that on the list there's a prostitute. Huh, I wonder what the Pharisees thought of that. You'll, you'll see that there's a couple of murderers on the list, Right? You'll see that just about everybody on there lied, cheated, stole, walked in fear, lost other battles, blew up relationships, cursed their own family. That's equally true. Do you see that? There's a truth about them that's true. So why are then Hebrews chapter 11? This is why. Because when they trusted God in spite of their behaviors, what they did came out of what God wanted to do, not what the devil wanted to do. In the end, we forget that there's prostitutes on the list. Why? Because Rahab wasn't known for being a prostitute. She was known for faith. Why do we forget that Moses murdered an Egyptian? I, I don't know. But maybe it's because when he trusted God, he became a deliverer. And that became more true than the season of his life where he was a murderer. Last truth bomb, you ready? Perhaps the thing you'll be most remembered for, you haven't even done yet. Maybe what God wants to do in your life is still inside of you. It's still waiting for you to be you. It's, it's that restored this. It's that built that. It's that destroyed those. Maybe what you've done, maybe, maybe you're doing math a little too early. You're like, okay, you're totaling up. Boom, this is who I am. Maybe, but, but what if you're gonna live another five years? Could you change the world in five years? Could you change your family in five years? Could, could ministries be birthed out of your life in five years? Could, could orphans and widows and people living in jungles and deserts and inner cities, I mean, maybe just restoring you. But I would I would wager that most of the people in this room, the thing you'd be most remembered for hundred years from now, you haven't even done yet. It's still in front of you. It's still waiting for you. It's still waiting for you. So, Lyndon, God bless you, Pastor Jason. Take them here, Pastor Jim and Graham Blank. You know, on and on we go. Right, let's just close it here. Would you stand to your feet? Nobody leave. I, I just uh, if you'd stand, that lets me know you're paying attention. Don't leave. I got my eye on you. If you leave, I'm going to make you a deacon. I'll punish you somewhere or another. I'll pray against each right. There we go. Now we're on even ground. So the checklist, right? Are you forgiven? Are all your sins forgiven by God? Is his narrative of you in your heart louder, more powerful, more influential than the narrative of your accusers? Are you forgiven? Yes or no? If you are great, if not, then know that. The answer was no, I'm not. We're going to do something about it in a minute. Have you forgiven, because of his great mercy, have you forgiven those who sinned against you? Yes or no? Really important. The kingdom of heaven will not flow through the kingdom of hell. If you believe he's good enough to forgive your sins, then you have to take that goodness and extend it to others. It's, It's not an option at all. We learned that last week, right? You guys think you're quiet this week. You should have heard you last week. Like preaching in a Hungarian wax museum. Like Dina talking to you about fasting. It was that bad. Like... To you. And then lastly, I think this wraps it up. Anybody here willing to disagree with God about his love for you? Anybody here willing to disagree with God about the power of his mercy versus the power of your sin? Then you got to forgive yourself. How did Saul of Tarsus do it? I don't know. Maybe it was this thought that when the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, many years later, decades later, had his head cut off and he entered into heaven. It was the thunderous applause of those he persecuted. Because God's narrative wins in the end. I want to be on the winning side of the narrative. So above all else, you better guard your heart. Because from it flows life. So if this is dirty, life. If this is angry, life. If this is loved, Father, I pray today that as we conclude this series, we would just say 100%, I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to the sum total of my behaviors. I don't belong to you know, a religious creed from which I've tried to adhere to and lied about. I, I, I belong to Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Your mercy for us is more powerful infinitely Than our sin. You decided before we ever sinned or did anything right that you loved us. A decision was made. And I pray that today we would with a whole heart respond to that decision you made until it is our decision. Your door open, your atmosphere, your heart, your lave towards us would be our heart towards you, towards those who sinned against us and towards ourselves. And if so, everything changes. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but you need to respond to one of these three things. I need the mercy of God. I need to forgive those who sinned against me. Or I need to forgive myself. I need the record in my head to change tunes, man. I need the accuser's voice to be silenced and the father's voice to be amplified. Today, I need it today. I'm just gonna ask you in a moment to raise your hand. One of those three things, two of those three things, or three of those things that are needed in your life. That's fine. God will know what you mean when you raise your hand. Are you ready? God, I need this today. Raise your hand. One, two, three, put them up. This is me. I need this today. You got to change the record that plays in my head, Father. I, I'm, I am so quick to say things about myself that you would never say over me. So stupid. What an idiot. What are you ever going to learn? I speak abusive words, and I do it in your name sometimes. It's just crazy. So God, I pray, change the narrative of our hearts. We are loved. And we're loved into love by being loved. You made us to enjoy us, to be known by us, to share with us. Sin tried to thwart your plan, but Jesus defeated sin, death, the grave, hell, beat them all. And now we stand forgiven. Let us walk in the unconditional, beautiful, powerful, redemptive love of Christ. If we ever doubted, your commitment to us. Let us remember a bloody cross on a hill a long time ago. The highest price ever paid for anything or anyone was paid for me. It was paid for us. We are loved in the love by being loved. So as John long ago understood, today we begin to lean in until our head touches the breast of Christ and we get to hear the heartbeat of our Father. We allow you We permit you. We prefer you. We invite you. We give you permission, God, today to love us just as we are. Just as we are. Holy Spirit, come and make these words so true we'll never recover from them. Holy Spirit, come and do an inner work. Object to every objection. Tear down every stronghold, Holy Spirit, I pray. I bind every hindering spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I declare truth. I apply the blood of Jesus to every heart, every mind, every narrative in this room and those that are outside this room. God, we defeat the devil. We tear down things that pretend to be true, pretensions and arguments and anything else that would raise itself against the knowledge of God. We tear these things down with the truth of Scripture and by the power of the living God. We're free. Let's just be free. God, just teach us to enjoy freedom. So thank you, God. We don't have to hide. There's no fig leaves needed in heaven. Glory clothes your people, not fig leaves of shame. Glory, the righteous will be as bold as lions, God. Let a boldness come out of us because we're loved, not because of what we've done, but you made a decision before we ever did anything to love us. A decision has been made about us, concerning us. God, today we walk in that decision. You're patient with us and kind with us and gentle with us. God, we just thank you that without you we'd be so lost, but with you we are so found. Let us live abundant lives, God, from, not for, but from this love. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, right on. It is 9.59, somewhere in the world today altar workers are coming forward. If you'd like to kind of digest this with somebody, pray about it. That's what they're going to do today or any of the other needs you have. If not, get out of here and uh, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week. Hey, next week, I'm going to warn you, I'm teaching on prayer and fasting. (laughs) So bring your pom-poms, you know. It's going to be fun. Your flags, your swords. You're dismissed one way or the other. We'll see you soon.